The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Ooh, shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a more or less family-friendly celebration of all that is geeky. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and along with my daughter... Hello. We are two generations of geek. This is episode 37, Bats and Soups. We're putting on capes and taking a look at Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. But first, remember you can contact us online and find handy links to all our episodes at generationsgeek.com. Now, on with the show. Okay, Superman, Batman, together, apart, everything. Yes. <laughs> first, this is your introduction, really. Mm-hmm. To both the characters. Yeah. Now, myself, I grew up, I read some of the comics, I watched the Christopher Reeve movies, various incarnations of Batman, so I've seen all sorts of stuff over the years. We won't do a bunch, a lot of comparing and contrasting since you haven't, but it'll be interesting to get your reaction to these films as a person who's first being introduced to the character as opposed to myself, who is seeing them as, you know, a, a new interpretation in a series of interpretations over the years. Um, so, Man of Steel, what was your initial reaction as a first-time Superman person? Um, I thought it was fun. I thought it was good. I mean, I didn't think it was, like, movie of the year, you know. <laughs> but I have a pretty pretty low standard for movies. It's like, as long as I'm, like, happy during a movie, <laughs> I'm like, it's good. So, yeah, I liked it. My initial reaction was more guarded than yours. Along the lines of a lot of complaints that the movie has had, uh, I thought that the tone was kind of inexplicably dark for a Superman movie. You weren't burdened with the overall sort of background of the way Superman has traditionally been done. I mean, so I think that allowed you to get into it without that baggage. I mean, obviously, I don't know, but... People don't... Do they focus on his origin story so much? Because he has a pretty sad, like, background, you know? So I, the, the dark tone didn't bother me because it's pretty... It's pretty depressing. <laughs> oh, well, no, he, he has a tragic beginning, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, losing his, his family, his planet, being the last Kryptonian, all that is, is part of his traditional backstory. But the character was born at a time when you could unabashedly have a character that was for truth, justice, and the American way, and it, and it would just be this, you know, rah-rah, fun, patriotic, you know, kind of thing. Uh, I think this movie reflects the time period in which it's made where people have a harder time feeling good about the world. <laughs> and so, you know, one can argue, should we have a Superman that reflects that, or would it be nice to have a Superman that is a little bit more optimistic so we can get that feeling. You know, what's interesting, I think, is Supergirl. Yes. The tone of Supergirl is much more, that's what people generally expect from Superman. It's, it's not that bad things can't happen or that there can't be tragedies, but the overall tone is still one of optimism and trying to do the right thing, and, and, and trying to get justice, and that sort of thing. It's, well, it's also much more playful. Yeah, and, and Man of Steel, 
was not playful. <laughs> you know, it's like, did did Superman and or Clark smile once in the whole movie? Maybe. Yeah, he smiled at, uh, what's her name? Red Hair McFlippy. <laughs> Lois Lane? Yeah, I didn't... <laughs> I didn't like Lois Lane in this movie. Really? No. And what, what didn't you like about her? She seemed kind of not like full-on ditzy, but like just spacey enough to make me kind of hmm. get a little riled up about the role of women in action movies. Really? Yeah. Like the scene where she like falls out of the plane. I understand that you have to have a scene where Superman catches Lois Lane. That's a pretty good staple for a <laughs> Superman movie. But like... I would have liked it to happen in a way where she wasn't, like, in a plane and somebody was like, watch out for the giant hole. And she was like, what? I'm just a, a lady. And then fell. That's interesting because in many ways the Lois Lane character was made much more uh, proactive and, and strong. Oh, yeah, she was definitely, Compared yeah. to uh, previous portrayals. Uh, but, yeah, you you do get into that quandary of how do you have Superman have to continually save Lois <laughs> the contemporary view of what we want from a female character has changed so much uh, and you're, you're trying to maintain some of these rescuing kind of scenes but it becomes a much more delicate balance well the thing is and I completely, I completely appreciate the Superman saving Lois Lane cliche whatever you want to call it that's fine. I just think, and of course she is, you know, just a human, where Superman yeah. is Superman, so he can do a lot more stuff than she can't, so it's not um, out of the question that she would be in scenarios a lot of the time where he would have to save her. Yeah. It's just that, you know, like, they, I, I think they could have done more. They could have done better. I want to backtrack and talk about the opening scenes of the film that establish Krypton and the various stories and characters that will end up carrying through the film. What did you think of Krypton in general? That was super great. I really liked that. I really I love origin stories mm -hmm. and things that have really big dramatic flashbacks at the beginning and it like cuts to like little Clark Kent like lifting a bus. That's fantastic. <laughs> um but the way they set it up and what was the name of the bad guy? Zod. The Kryptonian Zod? yeah. Are you sure? What's Superman's actual name? Kal-El. Kal-El. Okay. Here's the thing. The way they set it up, I thought that Zod was going to end up being his father. Something weird. I don't know. It, that confused me. The, he, it's, the thing is, he looks exactly, those actors look exactly the oh, same. Oh, that's right. That's the thing. Yeah, the, the actor that played Zod physically looks more exactly like the like, actor who played yeah. Superman. And I was like, oh my God, they're setting this up. <laughs> and so that threw you. It's so you. different. His, his father's going to be the villain. And then I was like, oh, it's just like coincidence yeah. that they chose somebody to play Zod. Yeah, and, and of course that didn't throw me because I'm more familiar with the whole backstory and all the characters, and so I didn't. But I completely understand how for a newbie... I just thought, I was like, oh my God, they're going to flip it. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, this is still good, but, like, I'm just, I'm confused now. Because I kind of, like, I was waiting for it, and then I was like, maybe they're not going to do it. And then I was still kind of waiting for it, but, it like, and, yeah, anyways, that's really not, that's probably mostly me. I don't know. Yeah. I had a couple of problems with the Krypton scenes. I thought that they were a little bit too heavily CGI, and, and, and it just moved too around. Too heavily CGI'd what? Like, the, the planet blowing up? 
or the when there's the big chase scene on the flying thing and yeah it was just like there was so much cgi going on that i just didn't get a sense for the place as a real place uh but as far as how they worked Zod into the story and the conflict between Zod and Superman's father that then plays out later in the film, I thought that was a nice uh, approach. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I liked seeing so much of Krypton, you know, because, like, I feel like, I don't know about other Superman stuff, What I've never seen anything that says anything about Krypton other than that it's, like, that's where Superman's from. And so I thought it was interesting to have such a long scene on his planet Let's see. One of the weird twists that struck me right away was how Lois knew who he was right from the beginning. And in fact, there were a number of people that knew who he was through the years. I Well, that's because Lois was like tracking him, though. Lois was like on it. She was like, this guy is something else and I'm going to find out what. Yeah, some of that confused me. And then it becomes more confusing in the next film, but we'll talk about that later. I really liked how he was, like, bullied growing mm-hmm. up, even though he, was he like, saved people. Yeah, some of that I thought got a, a bit muddled. I mean, the, the conflict between being a man and being Superman, being human and being, you know, trying to pass as human and being Kryptonian, uh, that sort of conflict runs throughout the Superman genre. But in this one did this weird twist where his adoptive father on Earth is trying to tell him that he shouldn't use his powers, that he has to stay secret, to the point even where he seems to imply that it would have been better for Clark to have let the busload of children die I than, mean, yeah, than but... risk revealing... I, I, I just I thought that was... I can understand the fear of being different and wanting him to stay hidden, but but I think they could have approached it in a way that didn't make uh, his father seem like such a weird, heartless guy in that one I didn't scene. Think he, I didn't got that. I just got that he he was so afraid for his son that he was coming from a very like. Slytherin place where he was like <laughs> my son before everybody else. Yeah, and 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 if my son saving a busload of kids is going to threaten him and my family, then he shouldn't save the busload of yeah, kids. Yeah, it just which of course is yeah, it's, is it's a little heartless. And, and it's a little, selfish, but and, like I see where it's coming from. And then oh my god, but then the scene where he where he dies in the tornado. Yeah, and it's heart wrenching. Yes, and 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 the dog. I just wanted and to I cry. And I think that I think that did a lot to uh, save the character uh, because in the scene where he's almost saying you should have let the kids die, you're just like, man, Pa Kent, you're just what, <laughs> Papa Kent. <laughs> but then you see the courage of his convictions that he is willing to sacrifice himself to protect his son. And and then that redeems him a little bit. But it, it was still, it was an odd choice. It was an odd storytelling choice. And I think that they could have done it better. Yeah, they made a little, there were a few odd choices. But, I, I mean, I still liked it. I didn't really mind it. You know, all I ever really go in expecting is like the normal summer blockbuster from action-y sci-fi movies now. Mm-hmm. And I try not to yeah. expect anything more than that. In case we have a letdown like uh, Battle of the Five Armies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing is, 
is that we've already seen the sort of happy-go-lucky take closer to the source material in, in every other Superman movie that's been made. That's true. And so... Something different. Trying to do something different, trying to let the uh, sort of, you know, the, you know the, the bleak paranoia of the modern world seep in to the Superman world a little bit, it's not inherently a wrong decision. It's an interesting take. But for me, they, they weren't necessarily successful at attempting to do a yeah, grimmer take yeah. on this material. And, of course, we'll end up talking about that more as well when we get on to the next film. Do you um, ever feel like like the trailers for movies are better than the actual movies? Well, it happens all the time. Because I remember watching the trailer for Man of Steel, and like especially they just have that clip of the lady going, we know what Clark did and it's just like <laughs> and it's like oh boy like let's go but uh then you watch it it's kind of like a little messy let's talk a little bit more about some of the characters and storytelling i didn't quite understand papa kent <laughs> and uh and his angle on superman and then of course that that led into this weird sort of montage in between you you, you kind of get his origin and then Clark just goes out and wanders for you know 15 years or whatever yeah doing just weird doing jobs. doing weird jobs and then every time something horrible happens and he ends up saving people then he has if to If I were Clark hiding. Kent I would do weird jobs I'd be like screw it I'm an alien <laughs> I'm not going to have a career I'm going to do whatever I want I'm going to go to the arctic in a truck and I'm going to walk outside when it's too cold for humans. <laughs> but then... Oh my god, though, that picture that Lois Lane had of him, like in the snow, where he just looks like like the Yeti, mm-hmm. like Bigfoot. <laughs> so yeah. Superman it, is Bigfoot, 2K16. It, it leads to Lois somehow becoming aware of all these various stories about miraculous things. And so she's suspicious that there's this guy behind it. And then she ends up being sent to this uh, site in the uh, Arctic. They've discovered a ship. And, uh, and of course, it turns out that it's a Kryptonian ship. That, um, Those scenes were so creepy, though. I'm so, so down. Weird. When people are, like, discovering something like that in movies, and it's like, there's a, there's a ship mm-hmm. under the ice. And they're like, but what is it? How did it get here? And it's, like, just super creepy and weird. Yes. See. And and that was yeah, yeah, there was some good stuff in that scene. I and then liked, Superman's like, please do not. You know what? One of the things I liked is how because of there was the because of the artificial intelligence that was based on Jor-El, that there were those scenes where Lo- Lois and Jor-El got to interact and it was kind of funny, kind of fun. Oh, the with the yeah. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Like the computer simulation thing yeah, almost? Yeah. yeah. Although the, the, the scene on the ship led to a thing I didn't quite understand. So she has a weird encounter with Superman, knows that there's something up with him. She's on this spaceship, something that's obviously not of this Earth. So she gets back to the paper and tells Perry White, her boss, and he's just very much down on printing anything, you know, because they don't have extra special solid proof mm-hmm. and it just seemed weird that it was like this gargantuan news story 
that he just I sat mean, on. I mean, like, if one of your employees had been obsessed with, like, this shadow of a man for years, <laughs> and then came to you and was like, we That's have to true. publish this, Perry, wouldn't you be like, sit down, Lois, <laughs> like, Shit. get it together. They should have had, uh... Yeah. What's his name? Perry White? Mm-hmm. They should have had him be like Perry Cox from Scrubs. <laughs> Princess, let me tell you. While you're off chasing your dream man in the Arctic, we've been here <laughs> doing our real job. Then we start getting to the meat of things because uh, I mentioned earlier how what is set up on Krypton ends up informing the rest of the plot, because Mm -hmm. inevitably, horrible General Zod uh, escapes from the Phantom Zone. He comes to Earth, and... (sighs) (laughs) And and then things just get kind of wacky, because, as it turns out, he basically has the Genesis device uh, that he stole from Khan. Mm -hmm. Somehow he... Went to an alternate dimension to Star Trek. <laughs> stole the Genesis device from Khan. I was going to say, it's very into darkness. So he, so he has a machine that can uh, replace a, uh, a planet's matrix with, uh, with its own. Um, and so he's going to destroy Earth uh, and make a new Krypton. But of course, you know, why not Mars? Why not make new Krypton on Mars? Why not make it... Because uh, Mars ain't inhabitable. Well, see, but he's got the Genesis device. It seems so pointless. Revenge. Yeah, he wanted revenge on... Because he's a bully. He wanted revenge on Jor-El, so he decides that he's going to destroy all the completely unrelated life on Plus a different Mars, planet. Plus like, Mars is Mars is little. It just didn't make sense to me. Earth um, is like big and nice. Goddamn oceans. And then... I've got this note that makes me chuckle because I don't even remember <laughs> writing it. When they first start yeah. fighting, they're in Smallville. I've got a note that says, This man is not our enemy. Sears! <laughs> Do you remember that scene? All of a sudden there's this huge like product placement for Sears in the middle of this uh, dramatic fight that's starting. Gotta be more subtle with the <laughs> advertising. So things get a little hinky at the end as as, as the fight starts happening. Uh... uh Zod demands that Kal-El come and, and, and Lois comes along like as another hostage. I'm not quite sure what, why Lois was there. I also noticed Lois just goes... she's pretty. She she's just, there because she's eye candy. And she just goes wherever she wants. She's a civilian, but she's just like everywhere. It's like, oh, we need Lois. We need, we need the newspaper reporter. Everywhere the, she goes, it's ginger, just, like red hair McFlippy. And she, Hello. Yeah, yeah. And so it was one of those things where Let they... Let me into your secret army base, it, please. It didn't seem I'm to make impressed. any sense that she got to go all these places. Now, one of the things that it took a lot of flack for, when the big throwdown happens and they end up in Metropolis fighting. Mm-hmm. Which again, I'm not quite sure why they ended up in Metropolis. They were they were somewhere, you know. All of a sudden, they're in Metropolis fighting. Because they're quick, they're fast. There's just like the entire United States that could end up fighting, but they're in Metropolis. And it then there's a huge amount of collateral damage, and a lot of people were very upset about how Superman didn't do much to try to minimize that. And it's a valid complaint. However, to be fair, Zod went to Metropolis first. And the military forces started causing the first collateral damage when they were trying to fight Zod. Mm-hmm. And and so it wasn't quite as... 
clear also, cut, like, but it still seems that it would have been possible for Superman to try to drive Zod out of Metropolis more into the countryside. And it was so, also like, but it was also like his first real like big interaction with somebody like as powerful as him. In this movie, he yeah, basically he'd... goes from Clark Kent like he to Superman. Right. That that is a good point. That so he this hasn't is had the, to deal with this yeah, before. This is the moment he becomes Superman is when he has to face Zod. Okay, so we've more or less took a, a tour through Man of Steel. I felt entertained while I was watching it. If they had lightened up the tone a little bit, they had let Superman or Clark be a little happy somewhere. It would have been nice. Since I watched it long after it came out, and I had heard all the vitriolic re- reviews. I kind of had one of those, well, this isn't quite that bad kind of reactions. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, you know, not that that's saying much for a movie to be able to say, well, this wasn't as bad as I was expecting. (laughs) But I certainly understand why people reacted the way they did. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of those people that reacted are people that are more, that have been more invested in the Superman character over their lives than I have been. I mean, I did read Superman comics when I was a kid, and I saw the uh, first couple Christopher Reeve Superman movies, but it was never really a huge deal to me. You know, like, you know, it's like, I'm certainly not a Superman fan like I am a Star Trek fan. You know, it's like, yeah, Superman is just this other thing that's that's a likable thing for me. And I try so, not to compare stuff to Star Trek. <laughs> well, I only, I, I'm, I only use that as a, uh, to demonstrate my investment in a character or franchise or lack thereof, because for me, Star Trek is the pinnacle as far as what I'm personally invested in. And so I might take a lot more umbrage at a Star Trek film that I think has missed the mark, like Star Trek Nemesis or Star Trek Into Darkness, whereas when I see Man of Steel, I'm kind of like, meh, well, you know, it was okay. Uh, But then there are other people who've been invested the opposite (laughs) that would you know, find Man of Steel to be a horrible outrage and might watch Star Trek Into Darkness and say, eh, well, that was all right. Yeah. Did you have any last comments? No, I want to get to the fun part. <laughs> all right, then we move into Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. And as noted at the top of the show, this is actually your first Batman movie. Yeah, I never, uh, his, like, thing didn't appeal to me. Well, and, and we've just never, uh, there's so much, there's, there are so many movies. Also that. <laughs> yeah, that you just can't get to them all. and and Mostly, like, it all, like, blurs together for me of just a bunch of different white male actors using the same <laughs> low-gravelly voice. I'm Batman. Saying. I'm Batman. Dramatic and or sad things. It's just like I can, I can understand how you would feel that way from the outside, but there, <laughs> there's actually a, a great variety of tones that have been in the previous Batman movies. Just to mention two, there's the Batman that starred Michael Keaton, that is much more cartoony and silly as a Tim Burton movie. And then see, I don't like Tim Burton though. And then there's um, freaks me out. <laughs> I think that there's well, 
Yeah, well, that's a whole other show. <laughs> um, and then there's the much more gritty, real-world tone of the first Christopher Nolan Batman mm-hmm. movie. They're two wildly different films, and yet they're both definitely Batman. So, then what was your, what, what was your first response to Batman v Superman? I actually really liked it. I really like, um, I don't know what genre to place on this, but I love scenes like the scene where Batman and Superman were both at that, like, gala that the villain was throwing. Yep. Lex Luthor. The, like, yeah, the tense, like, almost political drama mm-hmm. type thing mm-hmm. where they're all like, we can't reveal who we are, but this is tense because we sort of know who each other is. And Lex Luthor is like, this is interesting because, of course, he knows who they are. And so I liked that part of it. I liked that, like, sort of tense feel. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'll just interject on that particular scene. Didn't quite gel for me, but but I still, I mean, yeah, the idea of Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent meeting and the sort of layers that are going on there, uh, yeah, I, I very much like that idea. I found the version of Lex Luthor in this film to be very off-putting. Didn't work for me at all. So that was kind of a challenge for me in watching this movie. I thought he was off-putting in a good way. And... I can understand how... Like, he's a little like, woo, what is Superman going to do next? And you're like, I don't know, what is Lex Luthor going to do next? It's a mystery. Uh, yeah, it just didn't work for me, you know? And I, and I think, uh, what's his name, Eisenberg is a fine actor. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I, yeah, the, the, the take they came up with, the, 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 the screenwriter, the director, the mm-hmm. actor, how it all came together, the... the you know, I appreciate that they're trying to put a different spin on Lex, but to me, he just became a much more sort of cliched, crazy bad guy in a contemporary movie sense. I wish they would have gone a different route, but uh, I don't know. I did like it though, and I liked I liked Batman in this well, movie, which is saying something because usually I kind of like you. I just the I don't really do anything with Batman, like. I kind of steer clear. For some reason, Batman has always put you off. It doesn't appeal to me. Anything other than, what was it, Adam West that I watched (laughs) when I was little? Anything other than that where he's, like, running along the pier, like, trying to throw a bomb off. There's, like, two people kissing, and then there's, like, like, cute ducklings. It's like, I can't... Well, of course. I mean, that's a marvelously (laughs) fun uh, version of Batman, certainly. Um, I did like Batman in this movie, though. I liked how... Um, I think Ben Affleck is a solid Bruce yeah. Wayne in Batman. Yeah. I also I think Henry the... Cavill is a, has the potential to be a great Superman if they would get the tone right, because yeah. for me, they yeah. haven't gotten the tone right. I also liked how uh, the butler is basically like Jarvis. <laughs> yes, I think... <laughs> Like he's, I'm so sorry, sir. It's just that Superman has gone the other way. Like it's like, he's yeah. Jarvis. It's great, but I liked it. I liked it. But I think we can get down to the real best part of this movie, which is Wonder Woman. Let's, <laughs> let's hold on. I want to sort of go back and 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 try to kind of approach the movie a little bit in order. So let's fall back to the opening of the film. I think that this was a very good use of what was a muddled ending to Man of Steel with the wanton destruction of Metropolis gets turned into a good story point 
in Bats versus Supes because this is one of the things that Bruce Wayne is very upset about Superman because of the destruction of Metropolis. I still think that in the long run they didn't develop a realistic approach for Bruce Wayne to Superman. Um, the I, I mean, he just went from from zero to kill. <laughs> you know, there was nothing in between. There wasn't it's Batman. That's there, like his there thing. wasn't. There wasn't uh maybe we could go out for coffee, talk things over. <laughs> I don't think Batman it just is a went... smoker. <laughs> it just went straight to I have to kill him. And of course Although what confused me was like Batman like isn't Batman City like Gotham? Doesn't he live in Gotham? Mm-hmm. But then he's like <laughs> he's like I got to I got to whip in the Batmobile and just like like <laughs> speed on over to Metropolis to to fight Superman because I'm offended. Like yeah, well, in in this film, they are portrayed as being like across, like the just bay across or a bay from yeah. each other. I but can't, I, was, I can't I, remember. I always, like I pictured Gotham as like I don't know why, like probably like Chicago or Detroit. Like either of those cities is like where Gotham is in my mm. head, and I don't know why because I have no reason. I have nothing to base Gotham on, right? But for some reason, it's just Midwestern. <laughs> it's, you know, I actually don't know. And I, I read some Batman when I was a kid, but I have not followed it. I actually don't know if they've ever, I mean, in some ways, both Gotham and Metropolis are just versions of New York, it seems. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if they've ever portrayed Gotham as being more of a Chicago kind of thing. In some ways, it would work better if they were farther apart. Um uh, for this film, of course, it works better to have them close because mm-hmm. then it um, uh, emphasizes the antagonism between Superman and Batman. And of course, later on in the film, it's revealed that Luther, Lex Luthor has been working behind the scenes to ratchet up the tension between the two characters, which you know makes a little bit more sense as far as Batman's extreme reaction. But you see, another thing is that that was controversial for long-time fans is that it has often been a part of the Batman character that he doesn't kill. But that has been, and, and, and the same with Superman, they've, they've both often been portrayed as not killing their enemies, but there have been plenty of exceptions <laughs> in both cases. Um, but that was another reason why, for some people, Batman's immediate thought that I have to kill Superman uh, just seemed a little off the charts. Uh, But again, it's indicative of the times in which we live. Batman's like, Superman is a terrorist. (laughs) He has to die. Yeah, that we feel so threatened by certain outside forces that we are willing to just go the nuclear route right away. Well, and also, like, I don't really ever buy into things where the superhero is like, Oh, he's so good. He never would even like kill somebody. He just hands them over to the police. It's like, okay, but then you have like Zod who like imagine Superman trying to like tie up Zod and hand him over to like LAPD, right? Like Well, yeah, and that's one that in fact that's something that we didn't discuss during the Man of Steel thing was that at the end uh Zod really forces Superman's hand they are fighting and you get the impression that to a point superman if he could have not killed zod i think he would have gone that way but 
Zod was just relentless in his psychotic need to kill well, I humans. Think, I think he was and also so torn. Superman just finally put him down. I think in that movie he was torn though because like Zod was like one of the last. Well, that's the other thing is that when in killing Zod in in wiping out all those people, then Superman really did become the last Kryptonian. Yeah, and so there were a lot of dramatic layers there to Superman being put in a position to mm-hmm. have to kill Zod. Let us get back to Bats and Soups. They threw a lot into this movie. Too much, one could argue. Because the other thing that we haven't discussed yet is comparing and contrasting the building of the DC Extended Universe, what they're calling their film series, <clears throat> and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel very patiently built movie after movie after movie, building up to starting to team up people. They didn't always hit the mark, but they generally had this coherent plan to how they were going to build their universe. Well, and Marvel did it in a way that, you know, once you get to the Avengers, especially people who have been watching the movies since they came out, it's, it feels so much more like a huge deal yes. that all these characters are falling together. But then... Yeah, and... Basically, what seemed to happen in the DC universe was they suddenly realized, the producers and the studios suddenly realized, holy crap, Marvel is kicking us and we don't have anything going on here. We've got to jumpstart things. Suddenly they're like, okay, let's do a Superman sequel, but we'll make it a Batman movie and they'll fight each other and we'll introduce the... We'll start laying the works for the Justice League, and 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 we'll, but here's, here's and, and, we'll the thing, and, and we'll put in Wonder Woman, and and we'll we'll introduce a bunch of the other people by having someone you know, like Wonder Woman can look watch on a computer. <laughs> there was there, I mean, there's a scene where the action entirely stops while one of the characters, Diane slash Wonder Woman, sits down and watches on a computer screen a uh, an introduction of Aquaman and and, and various people, and. It was such an awkward and forced way to like try to do all this uh, building in one film that Marvel took like six films to do. It didn't feel too awkward to me, though. It definitely wasn't as much of a slow burn as Marvel did, but it didn't feel that awkward. It, um, well, if you're going to try to cram six films worth of introduction into a single film, they probably did as good a job as you could do. <laughs> but... I, yeah, to to have a big blockbuster movie stop while we watch another character watch video recordings on a laptop. But it was more than that, though. It was like she had found, like, a yeah. secret file. I'm exaggerating for comic effect, but I, I still just thought that that was a, a really weird approach to take to, to work in that uh, exposition. Um, DC has already dealt Marvel, like, a huge blow just in introducing Wonder Woman in that second movie, though, because now they have Wonder Woman coming out, and Marvel doesn't have a single movie that's, like, titled after starring as the main character, a female superhero. Yeah, it's funny that while overall Marvel has done so much more, and generally, I think, so much more successfully... (laughs) The fact that DC, in trying to catch up, has been the first one to put out a major female-driven movie is, uh, (laughs) yeah, Well, because they have have Wasp coming, but never 
Never was there a Black Widow movie, which could be yeah. so compelling because of her background with, with Russia and how she was raised. Um, it took them forever to introduce Wasp. And I think she's getting her own movie, but not for a while. Yeah, but I think it's... I a... think the next one is like Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's not yeah. even like the Wasp. Yeah, exactly. Which is going to make people like more angry. And I remember when they announced Ant-Man... Everybody thought it was ridiculous, and everybody was like, I hope the opening scene is like Black Widow stepping on Ant-Man, and this whole time it's been a Black Widow movie. And of course, Ant-Man was from Fantastic, but it was still another movie starring uh, a white male lead as the superhero. Wonder Woman practically stole the show. Oh, absolutely. With minimal screen time. Definitely. I mean, she's very, she was very, when you saw her as Diane... Undercover at the at the party at Lex Luthor's party, mm-hmm. you know it's kind of compelling and interesting, and you're wondering what's up with this person. But then when she comes on screen as a Wonder Woman during the big battle, oh man! And maybe we should step back and just just when it seems that Superman and Batman are maybe not going to kill each other the way Lex had hoped then he's able to unleash his big genetically engineered monstrosity, the the sort of doomsday character. And um, then it looks like Superman and Batman are both going to get whooped. And then, boom, Wonder Woman. And it leads to practically the only funny moment with Bats and Soups in the movies so far... (laughs) When they both, when they look at each other, it's like, is she with you? I thought she was with you. That was the best, the singular best interaction of anybody in that entire movie. In the entirety of the Man of Steel movie, in the entirety of Batman vs. Superman, in the entirety of the DC Extended Universe, (laughs) that was the best thing to ever have happened. The way they used her in the fight scene, in that big scene, was great, and it was a lot of fun. And it just set up how excited people could be looking forward to her own film. But let's talk about a couple other things. They have the whole Batman-Superman thing kind of turn in a strange way upon completely coincidence. So Superman takes out the Doomsday Monster thing, but ends up getting killed in the process. And it's kind of like with his dying words, he tells uh, Batman to save Martha, his adoptive mother. Uh, And Martha is also Bruce Wayne's mother. And so then you're supposed to feel this, oh my gosh, you know, Batman lost his mother, now Superman's about, Superman lost his biological mother, now he's about to lose his adoptive mother, and, and, and Bruce Wayne is very moved by the coincidence of the names. But it's like... Well, because at first he doesn't realize, because somebody, but then somebody just says, like, Martha, and he's like, who, like, how, what's going on? Yeah. And that was, I thought that was really interesting, too. That was really... I know, I was on the fence about it because it seemed like such a major turning point to have on a coincidence. But then I was very confused. So Superman gets killed, and Clark is also declared dead. <laughs> and But then you're like in this classic uh, Superman problem. It's like, well, how exactly did this work? You know, it's like, so they say Superman is dead, and... And they're trying not to connect the dots. No one's supposed to know that he's also Clark, but now Clark is dead. And, well, why is Clark dead? And what about his body? But then the body seems to be in Clark's grave because they show the burial scene in Smallville. 
and then it ends with the dirt on top of the coffin levitating so it's like this little uh secret that you know something funky's going on because obviously he's not really going to be dead but it's like okay so his so superman was dead he was killed and 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 everyone seems to know that but somehow they were able to get that body into smallville into clark's coffin and not have everyone to like figure out you know what i'm saying what what with the bodies and the superman and the clark and how did they keep it secret and how did they i i found that very confusing i mean it's 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 superman yeah you know in general i want my stories to make sense even if they are complete genre nonsense with superpowers and people flying it's like i still want a coherent line that makes sense to me it it, it just didn't quite uh, work for me okay uh but to wrap up i would again say that we went to the movie quite a while after it had opened so i had already read all the fan vitriol much like with man of steel and so i went to it not expecting anything super great i knew it was still going to have a tone that didn't work for me it was going to have the same tone as man of steel and it did but once again it was like eh you know it was all right i didn't hate it with the heat of a thousand suns like a lot of people did uh but i think that's just because i'm not invested in the franchise as much something i forgot to mention while we were discussing the film bruce wayne's nightmare vision sequences we don't talk about those (laughs) didn't work at all just did not serve the overall movie at all it just made it more confusing and over the top and and uh i mean they could have i feel like they could have made it work right because they're showing how obsessed he is with uh defeating superman and they're showing how afraid he is that superman is going to turn into something so evil that he has no choice but to kill him but it was done in a weird trippy way i think we've all had it happen where you have a dream and in your dream a friend of yours does something that you're you're angry about and when you wake up for a little while you actually are still feeling that anger toward that friend and then but then you're like well it was just a dream but it's like bruce wayne wasn't able to tell himself it was just a dream it's like he seems like he's really, really angry at Superman for things Superman did in his dreams. I think, I, I think his <laughs> dreams, they were supposed to show, like, why he feels so threatened by Superman. It wasn't like he's angry at Superman because of the dreams. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I know, he's angry I know. because... But, but yeah, they were, they, were be, they were being used as a way to illuminate his fears. But for me, it just came across awkwardly. But now... The the shining point, as we mentioned, of Bats vs. Soups was the introduction of Wonder Woman. And so I feel that we could tag a little bit on the end of this episode to talk about the Wonder Woman trailer. Let me tell you. <laughs> o M to the G. I was so thrilled and excited by the Wonder Woman trailer. There is nothing I like more than a superhero movie set during one of the world wars. (laughs) It looks so good. It looks like the tone is going to be that, that they're, that they're getting rid of the sort of overwhelming bleak despair of man of steel 
and bats versus soups. I mean, how can you have overwhelming, overwhelming bleak despair when you got Chris Pine washing up on a beach <laughs> in his little, like, bomber jacket? That's all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next time for episode 38, Star Trek Beyond, when we'll talk about, well, Star Trek Beyond and reflect back on the first two films in the Kelvinverse timeline of the J.J. Abrams Trek movies. Remember that Generations Geek is part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from the Batcave, while Batman is out arguing with Superman about what's cooler, super gadgets or superpowers. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. Thanks for listening, and come, come back, back next time. time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Shiny.